Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where we are building a theology of self-care together. My name is Andrew Ware. I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. Through conversations with others and reflections, we are seeking to build a theology of self-care, exploring how we take that initiative to care for ourselves as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. Welcome to this episode. I am joined uh, by a couple who are going to help to give us a little bit of insight into how mental health practices that they practice at home help to insight the life and ministry and self-care practices that they live out in the world as well, how it has impacted them. And we are going to explore this term that I learned from them called a mental health household. So I have Randy and Stephanie Timmerman joining me today. This is uh, hopefully going to be a great conversation. We're going to unpack this idea and dive into this understanding. So without anything else here at the top, let's dive into this conversation. All right, welcome to this episode. Uh, today I have uh, Randy and Stephanie Timmerman joining me here on Active Faith. How y'all doing tonight? Doing great. Fantastic. How are you? Doing well. Tonight, today, I don't know when people are listening to this, but uh, we're recording this uh, Friday, September the 9th in the evening. So we are here hanging out. So uh, before we dive into our conversation, let's learn a little bit about you two. Uh, so who are you, where are y'all from, and why is self-care important to each of you? So I guess I'll go ahead and start. Randy, I'll, I'll let you start that one, yeah. Yeah, so my name is Randy Timmerman. <laughs> I am an ordained elder in the Virginia United Methodist Church. Um, wow, when I, when I was going through all this stuff in my head ahead of time, flawless, and then all of the uh, all of the thoughts just disappear. <clears throat> yeah. It's all right. It's all right. We're here yes, to love yes. you. Um I was I was <laughs> born in St. Louis, Missouri and ended up relocating to Central Virginia where I was raised Methodist in a household that was Methodist with my mother and Lutheran converted to Methodist through my father. Um and just Felt a call to ministry when I was in high school, followed that call, and now I'm serving a three-point charge on the eastern shore of Virginia, and just sort of loving life. I mean, things are going fairly well. We've got a two-year-old daughter that was born during COVID. She was three months premature and has been a— It's hard to believe she is I know, two. right? <laughs> Well, at this point, she's she's <laughs> two and two months. Started preschool this week. Oh my she's gosh, she's enormous. You wouldn't know that she was in the NICU for 108 days. So wild. And why is self care important oh, right. for you? Self care is important to me. Um, while I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to do some clinical pastoral education with uh, Duke Hospital. And there was one particular evening that I was on call uh, overnight. And in the morning, as I was heading back to the office where we had our morning sessions, handed off the pagers, and just did a check-in with all the chaplains of the hospital, there was a moment – actually, no, I'm sorry. It was while I was heading from one on-call uh, emergency to another. That's what it was. I was on pace to go to another emergency at like 6 in the morning was already dragging uh, 
hadn't had much sleep that night. And there is a a hallway on one of the top levels of, of Duke Hospital that has a glass ceiling. And I distinctly remember stopping from one on-call emergency to another in that hallway to watch the sun rise over the over Durham. And that moment struck me so profoundly as to the importance of self-care. I could have been rushing. I could have missed that moment, but I didn't. I paused knowing the emergency was still there. I paused and had a moment of, of personal reflection, personal gratefulness um, because it had been a long night. And ever since that moment of profound peacefulness in the midst of the chaos, self-care is really important. Um, the choice that I made to pause and to reflect and to be present in that moment changed how I perceive self-care in the midst of the busyness of work, the constant or, or, or the, the feeling of constant need that being a, a clergy person uh, just sort of comes with, uh, self-care uh, grounds me in, in the work that I'm doing. So. And Stephanie, why don't you introduce yourself for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. My name is Stephanie. I um, grew up in Central Virginia, in outside of Richmond, in Mechanicsville. Uh, my I was adopted by my mother and father. Um, I have a close relationship with my birth mom. Uh, I'm going to be seeing her in a couple of weeks, which I'm very excited about. We're very similar. I work as the church administrator for a United Methodist Church um, in Virginia Beach. I work at Courthouse Community United Methodist Church with. Pastor Beth Anderson. And was just I, on today. Right. right. That's, that's she and I chatted about that today, actually. Yeah, she, uh, she's wonderful. So I do all of their graphics, I do their bulletins, I do their administrative work, uh, social media management for them. I do, I, I have been affectionately referred to somewhat to my chagrin as the office millennial because I'm able to do things on a computer like switch outlook from focused inbox to regular inbox fairly easily. You know, really multiple times really specified millennial type skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Comes with the, comes with the handbook, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's part of, it's, it's part of my other duties as assigned. <laughs> my, uh, Self-care is very important to me because I have dealt with a lot of uh, mental health struggles throughout my life that weren't really diagnosed or medicated until I was an adult. I was diagnosed with ADD when I was in about fourth grade at a point in the 90s, early 2000s when the diagnosis was ADD versus ADHD. Mm-hmm. Now I know that I have ADHD with the type inattentive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, experience with that was not great. I've dealt with a lot of uh, issues with depression and anxiety 
related to that, related to uh, some things that I went through when I was a kid that weren't, you know, hugely traumatic, but formative. And it's very important for me to make sure that I'm able to be there for the people who need me. And I can't be there for the people who need me if I'm not there for myself. Yeah. So that's, I have to, I have to set that boundary with myself and with other people so that I can continue to do what I love to do, which is take care of people in any way that I can. And that really kind of dives us into this conversation of why I wanted to have you two on. And, you know, Randy knows this has been months (laughs) in the making, (laughs) Um, you know, and and to 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 be respectful of your time, it is one where we were trying to find a time where you know uh, your daughter was either asleep, where I could have both of you on because what we wanted to talk about was this idea of a mental health household uh, that Randy posted on a Facebook post that I did not too long ago that really intrigued me. Of well, what is like? I mean, my wife Sarah and I were sitting there, and it came up, and we were like, "What does that mean?" Um, you know, I think there's this understanding of being attentive to mental health within those whom you love. And I'm not sure, but I think that there may be that this distinguishing nature between that and what you all are bringing into it when you are talking about a mental health household. Um, And so as we get started here, and, and this is why it was important to have both of you on. So it really became a lot working those schedules, making sure that we could get both of you on at the same time. With one of you not watching your daughter, your daughter is safely asleep for listeners who are scared right now about what is going on with their two-year-old, not terrorizing the house, but asleep upstairs. Um, (laughs) And so why don't we dive in with this first question and help our listeners to understand what is a mental health household? So the mental health household as an idea just sort of encapsulates this, uh, oh, what was the word that we thought about today? Cultivating a space, yeah. Yeah, so the, the idea of the mental health household is cultivating a, a space or environment in your home where you unconditionally experience welcome, hospitality, grace, and love. Now, that's a lot of flowery language. Uh, And of course, being the pastor, (laughs) um, I recognize that there are times when when flowery language is not helpful. Um, Most of the experiences that would help describe mental health household come from sort of anecdotes that we have experienced over the years. if you would indulge me, I'd like to to just share with you where I think the idea was first seeded of the mental health household. Mm-hmm. This probably started unconsciously, subconsciously, back when we were still in high school, Stephanie and I. Um, we started dating junior year of high school, and there was one Thanksgiving, probably 2008 that a lot of my extended family from Missouri came in and celebrated Thanksgiving. We had about eight or nine of us instead of the usual four at my parents' house. 
And so we were having a big Thanksgiving celebration. We had to angle the table so it fit in the in the dining room. And Stephanie had been with her family, uh, her families, I should say, for Thanksgiving. And that evening, she had been with a, a portion of her family that she didn't quite get along with as well as some other portions of her family. And so I received a phone call right as we were getting ready to sit down for Thanksgiving with my family. Uh, and she was practically in tears and just wanted to come by and get a hug. So I said, yeah, come on by, get a hug. And, you know, you can, you can go back home to, to be with your mom. Well, she had not met at this point, any of my extended family. This is uncles, aunts from, from Missouri uh, that she had heard about and that they had heard about her, but they had never met. And so she, she gets in our driveway, comes out, she's crying, gets a hug from me. And then, well, no, this was in our kitchen. I'm I, sorry. Details <laughs> in our kitchen. She comes in, gets a hug from me. And then right behind me is my oldest uncle. And having never met her, having never even introduced themselves to each other, he wrapped his arms around her in a bear hug that was probably tighter than mine was. That was how... It was. That's a pretty good bear oh, hug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Andrew. Um, so as with that being the introduction of Stephanie into the extended family, uh, I think that seeded subconsciously this idea of the mental health house, where you are just able to come and be and be accepted and be welcomed, regardless of who you are, what your background is. Uh, this is a place for you, and you are welcome to be here with us. And and I mean, I think that there's a lot that sits and exists within that as we begin to think about this nature of self-care in our lives as a whole. And then also the journey that I've seen you two go on, especially these last few years, uh, you know, with with the birth of your daughter, with with the move to the Eastern Shore, with, you know, uh, Stephanie working on Stephanie. You and Stephanie working on different sides of the shore. Uh, and so, Stephanie, what has been the role that you have played as y'all have sought, sought to build this lifestyle, you know, here in the Timmerman house? That's a really good question. I think... I think the role that I have played... This is a little self-deprecating, but would maybe be the instigator uh, because I have had to very closely examine my interactions with people and my ability to set boundaries with people because mm -hmm. I come from a background where your family knows everything about you and that's not always healthy, especially your extended family. Uh, from there, it's I've worked in different jobs that have been just horrible, absolutely horrible, very toxic work environments, very <sighs> uncomfortable situations that I was forced to stay in for longer than I needed to. And then I really should have. Mm. So more often than not, it was me who needed to be kind of consoled, I guess, 
it was always, it, it, it got to a point where I was the one who needed the mental health household to exist. So mm-hmm. I needed that safe space where I knew that I could just be unconditionally. And that has grown into, I have a very nurturing personality. So anyone that is near me or around me, especially if they're at my house, I want them to feel as safe and comfortable and loved in the house as I do. So I would say twofold instigator and then enforcer, but that sounds Mm -hmm. really harsh. (laughs) Well, but it, but it sounds like the thing about a mental health household that it seems like is playing off of very much everything is both the experience you receive and then the experience that you offer to anybody who may step foot in your house. Absolutely. And I think that, the, and I mean, there's a, there's a correlation that, you know, I think needs to be called out as to how we really should be treating people when they walk through any door anywhere. And so when we talk about mental health households, it, it really predicates on that understanding of, of what happens at home forms us and shapes us. And from the differing backgrounds that both of you bring in, you bring in this understanding where mental health in, in probably both positive and negative lights have played a role in your life. And so as you seek to create a household that is the two of you, and then now is the three of you with your daughter, you want to create a household where people feel like they can come in and they can feel safe. Right. I mean, that's just it. One of the things that we've talked about as one of the core sort of tenets of the mental health house is that when you are our house guest, performance can stay at the door. Um, Whether you Mm -hmm. live in the house or whether you're visiting for five minutes or five days, five weeks, whatever it is, when you walk into the door, you are welcome to be yourself. I feel like there's an unspoken pressure that we put on ourselves sometimes when we're at home or particularly when we're visiting someone else's home that we have to act or be a certain way. We have to perform. We have to clean up when our uh, parents or in-laws are coming. We have to, you know, clean our language up. Um, And that's even the case to a certain extent. I feel when when it's just one-on-one between you and your partner, Um, there's a certain level of performance that that we do um but the idea that when we are a house guest or when you're in the mental health house performance stays at the door because you are a house guest not performance it focuses on who you are with versus what you are doing because at the core what is ultimately valued the most is the individual mm-hmm. and you can you can leave the 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 world behind the, the the front door and escape from whatever it is, the work, the pressure, the stress, the anxiety, and simply come and be because you are who is valued. And so you can, and, and, and so do whatever. I mean, I, I was listening to the, the episode with uh, nerd pastor Nate earlier today. Yeah. Talking about ben, uh, it was a fantastic episode. Uh, about, uh, the uh, binge watching thing. It so it's like, if, if you need to binge watch stranger things because you had a, awful day at work binge watch stranger things um if you need to check out and go do stained glass in the garage then go do stained glass in the garage um we have time to do things together and if 
an expectation, spoken or unspoken, is going to prevent whoever it is, the people who live here, the people who visit here, from being wholly present, then I don't want those, I don't want that to get in the way. And and this plays a role in our self-care, right? Because it is specifically in moments of inviting people into our household. And I extend this, and, and, and I'm going to extend this to partners, spouses, you know, family, uh, you know, blood relatives, uh, you know, dear friends, church members, because one of the things that it sounds like you're doing here is something that is just a, like a longtime theme of not just this podcast, but self-care. And Randy, you and I know something that they teach us pastors when we're coming through school is this idea of boundaries and how important these boundaries are. And I love that you've almost that you've made the threshold of your house a boundary and not. A, and again, like, I don't want boundary to sound negative. I want it to sound positive. It's not like you're holding people out of your house, but it's saying, look, when you come in here, when you come in here, you don't have to put on a mask. You, be yourself. Be yourself. Be it. who you are and come and interact with us on on this level. Um, and I, and I wonder what that does for the ministry that you both offer, because you both work at churches, right? You know, Randy works as a pastor. Stephanie works as an administrative assistant, plus other duties assigned, and the head millennial in terms of content creation and social media. Um, oh, boy. When I moved to this church, they were like, oh, man, you're a young pastor. You could do, like, all this cool tech stuff. And I'm like, I know how to do it. But also, like, let's teach you how to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. But so how does so so back to the question, how does this translate into those work environments? You've created this mental health household, right? When people walk through that threshold of your door and create that space, what does this look like when you're in the church? And now you want to create you want to take that mental health, like care, presence, whatever we want to call it into the churches that you serve, into the vocations that you live into. Stephanie, Randy is pointing to you. <laughs> so there's a huge gray area where I work between being friends with someone and being coworkers with someone. And one thing that I have had to be very aware of is that gray area and making sure that that gray area is as small as possible. Because just because you work with someone and you are friends with them does not mean that that relationship, that friendship should translate into your working relationship. As friends, you need to be able to hold people accountable. You need to be able to hold your friends accountable for, here comes my dog. You need to be able to hold your friends accountable for the things that they do, the things that they say, the things that they say they're going to do, so on and so forth. And there's a different way to do that with coworkers. When I worked in these previous positions that were really toxic, really caustic, really horrible for my mental health, I'm such a people pleaser that I would rather just shut my mouth and do my work and hope that what I'm doing is enough now where I'm working, I am able to push back on the people I work with when they cross a boundary and when they cross a line that I'm not comfortable with. In previous employment, that would not have been 
possible. I would not have been able to push back. Where I work now, I set those boundaries and I don't always have to remind people what those boundaries are, but when I do, they are respectful of me reminding them what that boundary is. Perfect example, uh, being that I have an Android phone uh, and most everyone in the world has iPhones, when you're in a group chat with someone who has an iPhone and someone who has an Android phone, the iPhone can react to a message. That reaction comes through as a text. So if you send me a wall of text in a group chat and then someone likes that wall of text, I get so-and-so liked wall of text. I can't do that. I cannot do that. And so I have set a boundary with my work friends that any group chat they put me into must be work-related. And that's it. I will not be in a group chat with you and your friends. I will not be in a group chat with you and half the United United Methodist pastors in the United States. I support you in everything that you're doing, and I love you for who you are and what you do. However, that is not something that is not a behavior that I can engage in. That is not something that I can handle. And so, I have set that boundary. That boundary was crossed at one point. Luckily, I wasn't the one who had to remind the person that that was the boundary. Someone else did. Because I have intentionally, where I work, set an environment of when you set a boundary with someone, it is of the utmost importance that that boundary is respected. And I, I'm, I'm tired of just letting people get away with things and letting people walk on me the way that I had been in the past. And so now I am setting these boundaries, but I'm also holding firm to those boundaries. Um, to the point that a couple of my coworkers have said to me, you're so good at boundaries. You're my inspiration. And I'm over here like, <laughs> I'm just practicing good mental health. You should try it. Well, and, and Stephanie's even extended sort of the physicality of the mental health house mm-hmm. to her office. I mean, she spent an entire week basically remodeling her office in the church just to harbor a more physically inviting, warm and mm. welcoming space. I, I got tired of commercial beige. Fair enough. And one of my... One of my favorite things recently has been, contrary to popular belief, my drive across mm-hmm. the CBBT, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. I love that drive. I love that time that I have to myself to listen to a podcast, listen to an audiobook, call a friend. It's an mm-hmm. hour long drive. I can do what I want with it as long as it's something that I can do safely while I'm driving. That said, one of my favorite things is looking out over the water and seeing that deep Mm -hmm. teal color. I painted my office that color. I added string lights to the walls. I've got some plants. I've got some more shelves I'm going to put up with pictures of my family and with fake plants because there's very few plants (laughs) that I can keep alive. I know this about myself. It's a work in progress. But it's, you know, if you're going to be spending so much of your life in one place, 
that place needs to be comfortable mm-hmm. for you. And if you are not comfortable to be yourself in that place, then you need to either redesign that place so that you are able to be comfortable to be yourself, or you need to leave that space and find another place where you mm-hmm. can be comfortable to be yourself. And I mean, I think that becomes such an important aspect. I mean, again, like it, it, it feels so simple that what we practice at home becomes the person that we can be out in the world. And I think it's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it continues to be something that Randy mentioned earlier, where it's like, you know, take off, you know, who you think you need to be in this situation um, and just be who you are. And I think that's, I mean, it's just a constant theme of self-care is recognizing the, you know, inherited image of God that's within all of us and claiming that we deserve to be respected, treated well, that we deserve to love ourselves, to be loved, to take that time. Stephanie, you are like the only person I know who likes to drive across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. <laughs> I know. Because... I know I, no one. No one. I may or may it. not no have. I may or may not have avoided the district retreat for one of the ideas that I was going to have to drive across it a couple of times. Not that I mean, I really wanted to go to Akahanic on the bay, but at, it, I mean, it was also on a weekend, so there were. It was like a multifaceted excuse that I gave our DS. <laughs> yeah, two day, two times a day, four days a week, sometimes more than that, and. You know, I've mm. I've always loved nature. I get to see deer and dolphins. I saw a sea turtle once, which was the highlight of my week that week. And it's it's incredible. It's a beautiful drive, and it's yeah. ever changing. Just you just have to look for the good. And what about you, Randy? Because um, while we were, uh, you know, we've been having some tech issues back and forth. Welcome to podcasting. But while we were talking, you know, uh, and and Randy, if 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 you don't want me to share this, I can cut this out. But but you said that your office is in the house that you reside in, the house that the church gives you, and that creates a very odd line of work living. I mean, I remember that my last two churches, my offices were in the parsonage. It creates a very interesting line. And so what does that look like for you in this situation? So I am someone who is really connected with the idea that when you meet with a pastor, you don't have to do it in the pastor's office. Uh, I have had so many one-on-one lunches, coffees, you know, dinners in my my congregation's houses, uh, you know, they, there's very few times when I've had people coming to the parsonage, coming to my office here at the house, because they know, and, and I think I'm blessed in this way, that my congregations do respect the lines between personal and professional with regards to me and my family. So there are very few instances when I'm getting phone calls when I really shouldn't be, you know, late at night um, or, or, or having people knocking on my door because you know, they left their keys at their house and they need to get into the church. It's been very, it's been a very blessed experience in that way. And plus I, I just prefer being able to, to meet with people mm-hmm. over a meal. Uh, Jesus spent so much of his time conversing with and teaching uh, pastoring over meals. I can do that outside of the sanitized, pastor's office and in the community and then not only am i 
sharing a meal and getting to know these people with genuine fellowship. But I, as a pastor, am mm-hmm. more visible in the community, which is something that we always need more of. And so as as you two kind of build on this foundation, you know, you look at this two-year-old life that you have in your hand, and I promise you, they like, like cherish those memories. <laughs> uh, they grow up so quickly. And, and as you're trying to teach your daughter these ideas, these understandings, I mean, she is growing up in a mental health household. What does it look like for you all to begin to teach, maybe teach by example, teach by lessons? Like, what does it look like for you all to teach these ideals for your daughter? I've got a really good example, if you don't mind me. Go. Oh. Stepping in. So, um, one thing that Steph and I, I think, are really beginning to just scratch the surface of is modeling the concepts of the mental health house in public around other people and how we interact with each other. Uh, we have come a long way. I remember when we first moved to Norfolk, my first appointment. We hadn't had major conflict, and it was at Norfolk that we started really having major conflict. And that, I think, is when we started trying to implement things like greater communication and understanding of um, the stress that I deal with and how that affects my emotional state and the the depression and anxiety that Stephanie uh, deals with and uh, therapy and medication that ought to be going along with that. So we have had a long thread of about six years where we have worked intentionally about what does communication and how does resolution look like in the midst of conflict. And even in just the last couple of weeks, I have noticed us modeling that in front of other people who have had conflict between themselves And in the midst of that, Stephanie and I might have a conflict, but we are communicating out loud, this is why I reacted this way. I apologize. I recognize my wrongdoing. And for me, the biggest thing is recognizing how resolution is different between me and her. Because I'm an earth person, so my resolution is Mm -hmm. immediate. I air my grievance, and then I'm good. Stephanie is a water person. Her resolution takes about anywhere between 30 minutes to two days. So uh, so I might be ready to move on, but I'm uncomfortable, or I have been uncomfortable when she's unable to move on because she's still receding like a water after a flood. So because we have these understandings of each other and we've spent this time cultivating this household together, we are now able to, in public, sorry, we're hitting my microphone. We are able to model in public in front of other people who may or may not have good conflict resolution skills that we have learned. And the hope is that as uh, Juliana grows up and sees mom and dad fight, because inevitably she's going to see us fight, but as she sees us fight and then resolve conflict and work together to move forward and to not let that problem be the thing that sets the two of us apart but 
sees us as two people connected facing a problem. My hope is that she begins to see those patterns and will cultivate that sort of mentality on her own as she grows up in the house. And, and, and there's that learning from your own experiences as well. And and I mean, Stephanie, I'll say I'm right along there with you. I got diagnosed with ADD when I was like five. Um, and then I think it was like four, three, four years ago now where I learned that like, hey, ADD doesn't exist any longer. You have ADHD, but you like really struggle with like paying attention to things, which I mean, duh, like Randy could have told you that. <laughs> um, ten, at, 10 years ago. Ten, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think one of the things for me, especially in the pandemic, is wrestling with keeping something like that under control. Um, the AD, the ADHD, the anxiety, um, and those kinds of things and not, not under control in like a bad way, but mindfulness about them, about what triggers me, about what makes me forget things, um, about when my wife moves things and I forget because she moved them and it's not in the spot where it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, I'm glad someone agrees with me on that one. Um, no. So, so what is it like to bring, what is it like for you to bring those kinds of experiences into this familial experience that you're offering? And then in the community that you're building both in, on the Eastern shore in Virginia beach, you know, in central Virginia, where, where your family of origin is all over the place, you know, what, what is it like to engage in those kinds of reflections, activities? How does it play a role? I think one thing that has been kind of crucial is really just voicing it mm-hmm. because, and, and just verbally acknowledging the things that you're going through, the things that you're dealing with, so that when you're in these interactions with people whose brain may not work the same way yours does, so that they understand the process behind why it is that you do something. For example, just like you said, someone moving something, Mm -hmm. and that's not where it goes. My, I love my mom dearly. I really do. She and I are best buds. We, I, regardless. One thing she does that drives me absolutely insane is changes the way that I have things set up because she thinks it's better. Mm. Uh, I think the best example of this that I can give when we first moved into this house, we set up the crib in a portion of the nursery that was, it was not flush against any of the walls. Mm-hmm. And that was intentional because we hadn't put in any plug protectors yet. We weren't entirely certain that that's where it was going to go. We had some other things that we needed to do before we could really put it in its final place. It was missing a screw. And it was missing a peg. We lost the peg in the move. Yeah. We lost one of the screws or pegs in the move. It's an Ikea crib. Yeah. We, we, we did that. We had the same thing. Right. So my mom comes to visit 
And anytime we move, shortly thereafter, my mom comes to visit to help either help me unpack or help hang out with the kid while I unpack, what have you. Oh, it drove me crazy. Oh, it made me so mad. Oh, it made me so mad. We had gone to do something. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember why we weren't in the same room, what my daughter and I were doing that we weren't in the same room as my mom. She was in the nursery, unpacking the books, whatever. And she calls me on the phone and says, hey, uh, I think I broke your crib. Oh, no. I said, excuse me? (laughs) She said, I think I broke your crib. I went to go move it into the corner. And the bottom fell out of it. Because we were missing the peg. Because we were missing the peg. Because we were missing the peg. We knew we were missing the peg. You wasn't aware that we were missing the peg. We ended up pulling one from her, uh, from the changing table and using it in the crib. Don't say that. Because the changing table wasn't going anywhere. Uh, we just went to Home Depot and bought a new one. I, said, okay. I, I wasn't about to try and deal with that. So I res- my response was, okay. Did did I ask you to move the crib? Said no. Said okay. The crib was in the place that it was for a reason because it was near outlets, and I don't want my child, I don't know, electrocuting herself. Uh, Also, there's a screw missing, so it needed to stay where it was. I understand. You just wanted to help. That's not helpful. What's helpful is doing what I asked you to help me do because that's how that's what I can control. Yeah. Especially with how chaotic I pack. What? I I know that the baby's books are in this box. Don't touch anything this is else. Often actually why I don't pack cuz I just move from one box to another. <laughs> oh, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> But so the the idea of verbalizing that there's a reason for why I do certain things and mm-hmm. why I do things the way that I do helps people understand what it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to learn to be very intentional about verbalizing those and saying out loud, I'm going to close my door to my office because I need to be able to get some work done. And if anyone comes in to talk to me, I will have a 30 minute conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I can't do that today. I have, I have put notes on my door that say, hi, I'm here. Please don't talk to me. <laughs> I need to get work done. I love you. Goodbye. Well, and as, so it's just, it, go ahead. I was going to say as, as someone who I guess would be classified as more neurotypical, I don't think there's any being such thing in, as neurotypical these days, but well, go on. More, yeah. more neurotypical. Um, <laughs> being educated and learning and, and having to have that intentional communication so that I understand and so that I receive as much information as I need to not cross those boundaries, to not inadvertently create conflict. Is just another way. I mean, 
it's about knowing your people, right? Mm-hmm. It's about knowing your partner. It's about knowing your family. It's about knowing your friends and being able to communicate. I mean, when I do uh, marriage uh, counseling, the three things that I tell people are the most important are communication, communication, communication. I mean, if you're not communicating, if you're not talking to each other about what you need, um, why you're doing something, mm-hmm. then it's impossible to avoid conflicts because there's no interconnectivity. It's also, it's not just the communication side of things. It's also respecting that communication that is given to you because yeah. someone can say to you, and this, this actually, this happened to me in the job that I was in. I told them I have ADHD and I deal with depression. I'm going to be going to therapy two, every two weeks. Uh, I'll be leaving at this time of day. And that's what's going on. Legitimately had one of my bosses tell me, I understand that you have some issues, mm. but you need to leave those at home. And it's not. It's not, not because. How it works. And and I mean, I think it's, it's been not. highlighted in this conversation that you know what ha- Like again, like the what we form at home, the practices we form at home, the boundaries we create in our household, then become the person we are. Like the self care that I offer to myself is a direct correlation to the ability that I'm able to serve with others. And that, I mean, that's the whole point behind this understanding of self-care is that we are called to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbors, right? Right there in the great commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. We've got to do it. And it's a two part statement. And so, and, and it is right. It's it like, we have to be able to communicate, but we also hope that as we communicate with others, that they come into that level of understanding so that when we communicate them with them, one, we can. It, so one, when we communicate that with them and, and we hear and, un, and know their level of understanding, it, it can be an indicator for us of a toxic environment. Um, you know, I mean, Stephanie, just like you, uh, I mean, not same situation, but, you know, I, I went into a church and I was like, hey, Friday's my day off. You don't call me. And rather than like, right, pastors everywhere are going like, ooh, bold move, pastor, bold move. Yep. And I'm like, and I'm like, no, Friday's my day off. You don't call me. My phone you. is off. And they started concocting all of these situations of like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Like they called the DS and said our pastor like says we can't call him on Fridays. And thank God I had an awesome DS who was like, yeah, you're right. You can't call him on Fridays. Why don't you call someone else in the congregation? And like, no, to this day, to this day, like shout out Rob Colwell, best DS. I'm sorry. Any, I'm tar- sorry to the seven other districts, six other district superintendents I've had in eight years of pastoral ministry. But Rob has been the best. I- I'm a DS killer. Don't worry, folks. Don't worry. Um, no, but, and and, I mean, luckily I had one who stood up for me and said, no, like it's his day off. Like, why don't you invite, why don't you and pastor talk about ways that there are ways in which the needs of the congregation that might happen on a Friday could be met. And like, the funny thing is, is like, I've been in pastoral for ministry for eight years. And like, that may seem like diddly to some of our colleagues, Randy, who have been here for 30 or 40, but I feel like I've been around the sun, uh, like a number of times as a pastor to know like none of those situations of which they said I needed to get called on a Friday 
not only have not happened on a Friday, but like haven't even happened in eight years of ministry. Like I'm about to hit a decade of ministry and it hasn't happened. But I mean, it like it, it comes into that conversation of understanding, right? I, we need to be to, able to explain what we need as human individuals. And I mean, we need the uh, we need the people on the other side to understand. And unfortunately, that often means that when the people on the other side don't understand that we might have to admit that that might not be a healthy situation for us. And, you know, I I applaud you two for creating this space within your household to be able to have that conversation and to create that space. I'm sure having listened to this episode, many of our listeners might think like I have something that looks like that. But I think, you know, doing a little bit more work, we could be doing that in our household and to think of what that might, you know, put forth in the rest of their life, vocation, faith, whatever they're doing. And it's it's a constant mm-hmm. work in progress, too, because we we're human. We're not perfect. We're not always going to be perfect at keeping with this idea of the mental health household. We're not going to be perfect at keeping up our communication the way it needs to be. I'm going to be petty. Sometimes I'm sorry, but understanding that there's grace involved is mm-hmm. huge. Well, yeah, eliciting grace is, is a is a hallmark of, of Wesleyan <laughs> theology. I'll, I'll I'll do you I'll do you Ooh. a second. Is that the idea of the mental health house is yeah. aspirational? It's never going to be perfect, but as we practice it, we are moving on to perfection. Well, and. And the fun thing, no, Randy, <laughs> you, you just got ordained. So you just had all that fun of writing all those papers. But I mean, I'll say that it is like, and, and I mean, that's the rest in this podcast. That's the rest in this practice of self-care is, is like, I'm not inviting people who have it all figured out because like, if you got it all figured out, I don't want right. to talk to you. Like, I want to hear how you're wrestling with it. I want to hear how you're struggling with it because that's the areas in which we can all learn and grow together. And like, when I started the sermon series that I'm doing at my church right now, like I admitted, I did all of this and I had answers. I had no answers and all questions. Like, because I'm trying to learn right along with everybody else. And when I created the Facebook group, when I, when I started this, it was, we're all asking questions together. So let's try and answer them together. Um, Cause something's got to change. Uh, we cannot continue down these unhealthy paths. Uh, and and I think that something like this really invites, uh, no matter what sort of household you have, whether you are, you know, a single person uh, living by yourself, whether you are partners living together, partners with with one kid, two kids, many kids, multi generational households. Um, but but this can be something where when we practice it within both within ourselves, within like within those small family communities within those small communities, it helps us to blossom into those greater communities as well. Well, I was really thankful that you reached out and asked for us to come on and talk about this because what it forced Stephanie and I to do is actually sit down and sort of write out what our thoughts on the mental health house were, because for us, it was just sort of this nebulous thing. I mean, we had a friend during COVID coming over to our house regularly. She was in our bubble and Coming to our yeah. house was her escape. She was the one that sort of coined the phrase mental health house. And we latched on to that as an identity for us 
but we didn't really know what that meant in practice. And what we do in practice is not going to be the same as what other households that look differently than ours are going to have to implement to cultivate a mental health house. But I think you nailed it on the head. Is that the hit the nail on the head? You hit the nail on the head and nailed it <laughs> when you said that it starts at the yeah. house. It starts at the house. Like if we can't be genuine in our most private at our house, then we can't begin to think that we're going to be genuine and fully ourselves when we're at work or when we're with other people, our friends. Uh, if we are finding other places where we are being more genuine than we are at our house, where we live, where we grow our, our, our families, where we, we learn these important life lessons, where we instill um, valuable morals in our children and each other, then something needs to change. And so I'm really, really passionate about this idea of of the mental health house because I think it has helped me be a better husband. It's going to continue to help me be a better mm. father. And it has helped me, I think, be a better pastor because a lot of the stuff that I'm practicing at home, I'm implementing in the church and setting boundaries and being genuine and and not letting people, you know, walk all over me because I had a similar Sabbath um instance where someone was texting me on a on a on a friday saying hey the uh, some of the folks are going to be decorating at the church on friday you ought to come by and and say hello and see i said no it's yeah that's that's my sabbath and if they don't understand that have them call me uh so yeah it's it's been just on reflecting about what this has done for our relationship and how we have taken so many steps forward together mm. um, to the point that we can just coexist without necessarily needing to co-interact yeah. all the time. It's just amazing. And I think something important about it too is as bef- as I said before, you know, you need to, you can set those boundaries and you can have those ideals in mind but if you have people around you who don't respect that Mm -hmm. about you and who don't respect those boundaries and and support you and hold you accountable for those things yeah maybe those aren't the right people to be around you the fact that randy has been as supportive as he has been about me getting my mental health in order mostly because i was an absolute wreck has made it so that I am able to be supportive of other people getting their mental health together. I had a conversation with my coworker the other day, very frankly telling her, you should look into medication for ADHD. Mm -hmm. I think it would help. And being able to have that conversation in such a way that she received it, how I sent it, which was, I love you. And I think this would help you live your Mm -hmm. life better as opposed to, Oh my gosh, you're so annoying. You should be on medication. Don't do that. Like, that's not cool. Um, Being able to be in a relationship with someone who is working toward and working toward alongside you, that level of mental health, and also is supportive and holds you accountable in the things that you're doing for your mental health has been Mm -hmm. crucial. 
I mean, there's just and the most of that ability Randy. stems. I was going to say most of that ability stems from the work and effort that's put into cultivating a mental health house. I mean, there's just there. It, there's so much that goes. I mean, it feels very not simplistic, but it feels very just natural at its base level. Um, and yet when it's, you know, you peel that onion and you start getting back there and there's so much to it. Um, you know, so I, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, maybe I'll try and get Randy and Stephanie on. We'll continue to dive into this. Um, but before today, let's wrap up with these, uh, questions that I like to close the podcast with. So what's something that y'all have done that has made you feel accomplished? I painted my office. Yeah. We talked about that earlier and, and, and that was making the conscious decision to adjust my workspace to meet my needs and to do so in a way that, uh, was honoring the work that I do and where I work was, was a huge step for me in self-confidence and being able to ask for the things that I need. Cause that's always, that's something I've always struggled with. So yeah. Adjusting my workspace. I had my fluorescent mm. light disconnected because no, thank Not you. Fun. Yeah. And, and on this side, we just got back from a week long vacation and half of that time was spent out in rural Missouri fishing at a state park that, my, portions of my family have fished at all the way back into the 70s. And I, Generation. for the first time, I think, outfished my father. And I didn't just outfish him. I am barely. It only took you like 29 years. That first. I mean, hey, you got to learn how to <laughs> dance the jig. You got to learn how to have that, have that wrist twitch that makes the trout react. And I, I mean, when I say I embarrassed him, that first morning we came back, I had a stringer that was about weighing my shoulder down, cramping it, because I had four big old suckers on there, and Dad had one tiny fish. <laughs> it was incredible. So where is my biggest accomplishment recently? I outfished my dad, and I embarrassed. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, he's proud. <laughs> All right. Aside from God and each other, uh, who do you go to when life gets tough? My best friend. I have had the same best friend since second grade. And she is someone who does not go to church. She did when she was a kid growing up. And she has started looking into some churches and different denominations uh, that might suit her, her lifestyle and her thought process a little bit better. But she is the person that I can go to with everything, mm. spiritual, with uh, just life stuff. She just had her first kid. Um, her mom was a second mom to me when I was a kid, and she passed away in 2018. So she comes to me with mom stuff. I go to her with relationship stuff. She is, she is my absolute best friend and uh that that friendship has only gotten stronger in the last couple of years and i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna give you two one personal one professional um the first Rude. one well i i feel like i have to say that I, I come to my wife for everything 
Uh, she said aside from each other. I said other. aside from you, from, uh, from each you? other. Yes. Okay, well, mm-hmm. then, just, then just cut that. Um, I'm going to leave it in. No, don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate control. No, um, I would have to say the person that I go to the most when I'm having difficulties is, uh, I, I feel like every time I name drop them, I'm like trying to get street cred, but I'm, I'm legitimately not. Um, Jason Stanley was my youth pastor when I was going through um, middle and high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the guy who recognized uh, a call to ministry in my life before I even did. And he was the one who sort of mentored me through that. And uh, he is still in some ways, like we see each other as peers now. Uh, at least I see him as a peer. I don't know if he sees me as a, as a kid still. Um, <laughs> but I also still see him as my pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's always been someone that I could go to. We had a journal. This is one of the things that we did in our youth group. We had a journal that we would write in and then we would give them to him and he would write us back and we would have reflection time, journal time during our, our youth group uh, meetings. And I still have that connection where if I'm having a, 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 a just pardon my language, a hell of a time trying to figure out what it is I'm discerning, what it is that I'm doing, the problems that I'm dealing with, I just text him and be like, hey, I know you're a busy, busy man. Because <laughs> uh, he is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know Jason, he's uh, the director of church revitalization for what is now the Coastal Virginia District. I'm glad you remembered that name because. <laughs> um, and for, for the last several years has been really helping churches and pastors with co- uh, bringing in coaches, uh, mentors training i mean just a busy guy but i i feel like i can still text him anytime and say hey i need a call and he will go out of his way to find a time to call me have lunch with me so i feel like because because he's such a it's a, such a well-known name in the conference <laughs> choosing, him as, choosing him as a cop-out but i'm sticking by my guns jason stanley is who i call I'm going to call Jason and tell him you told him that. Um, no. And then the last question, what is an upcoming goal that you two have? Together or individually? Uh, let's go together. That, oh, do y'all no. have one together? No, nothing. All right, individually. What do you want to do? Like, Here's <laughs> so a together pa- goal. Raise a child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so my current pet project Don't is die. my stream. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my current my current prep project is my stream. Uh, it was something that I wanted to start back at the beginning of the pandemic and just never did because I had that that performance freeze of it's never going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. I'm going to start out and I'm going to fail. And finally, one night in January this uh, this of this year, Stephanie just said, "Hey, tonight you're streaming because I'm going to go do staying class outside." Uh, so I was just thrust into it, and it's been a lot of fun. I've been able to connect with a lot of uh, other Methodists. Uh, streamers, um, Checkpoint Church, and I, I name dropped Nate earlier. Uh, talked with him, Methodist Gaming up in Short Pump, uh, Virginia. Talked with them and just networking with them, finding ways of, of building a connection, not just within the local churches physically, but within local online ministries together. And just so 
all that to say, my personal goal is is to grow that in a way that is fruitful, not for me, but for the people who would be consuming that content. My goal is I am going to be participating in a craft show Ooh. in November. Uh, the church where I work is holding a craft bazaar. The United Methodist Women sponsor or put it on every year. They didn't in 2020 or 2021 because COVID. Ah, COVID. Uh, oh, uh, that's COVID. why. Oh, what? But I am going to be selling stained glass. I have a a, a Christmas ornament that is a, an, an angel. It's about, I could go grab it and show you. <laughs> um, but I'm going, my mom and I are actually going to be at this table together. We're going to have a craft table that we're going to sell our items. My wife, or wife, wow, I'm tired. My mom is going to be selling stationery that mm. she has made. She's real crafty. And I'm going to be selling Christmas ornament Very angels. Nice. So I have a lot of work to do to do that, but I'm really looking forward to it because it's one of the ways that I experience self-care yeah. is, is doing art stuff and, and artistic things, creating things. So I'm looking forward to that. It's uh, November 12th at Courthouse Community United Methodist Church. In Virginia Beach. <laughs> We'll and uh, and I'll include you know uh, you know I'll include links to both of those things in the podcast notes. So if y'all are interested, listeners, in checking those things out, uh, you know this is great and awesome stuff that they are doing. So Randy, Stephanie, I want to thank y'all so much for coming on. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope y'all have. Thank you for having Absolutely. us. It was great. Gosh, so many nuggets of information. I don't even know where to start as I unpack this. So as I said here at the end, I want to try and answer one question, which is what did I learn from these guests? What did I learn from Randy and Stephanie? And I think I have to just go back to this idea of what is a mental health household. And I loved their perspective of coming in. And, and it's really a household where... The lessons that you learn in the household become tangible for what you practice outside of the household. And so the way that you feel like you can behave in the household is an open space for you to communicate fully, for you to live within the fullest extent of who you are. And not that this, I mean, not that this shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. I mean, this really is an ideal, not just of marriage, not just of family life, but just of household life. When we, when other people come into our house, we want them to feel comfortable with who they are. And I think that Randy and Stephanie have kind of opened this door for us to understand that a little deeper, where it's not just uh, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we're putting on a mask, but uh, especially around those whom we care about most, that we feel like we can be ourselves so that as we're out and about in the world, as we're doing things, as we're living out faith and vocation, we feel like definitely in that space, we have the opportunity to express ourselves fully, which then helps us to be able to practice good mental health habits. And I think that that is what I'm really taking away from this discussion, is if we are practicing good mental health habits in our households, uh, hopefully that is translating to good mental health habits as we are going out into the world, because that's where it begins. 
That's where it begins is right there in our house, right there in our home, right there in the inner parts of our hearts. And so as we continue on, you know, I hope that uh, we continue to unpack this idea of a mental health household, uh, that maybe we even dive into what mental health as an abstract idea looks like in our lives and how we practice it. But I definitely know from this conversation, I have learned an immense amount that I want to carry over into a lot of things that I do. Uh, and so uh, don't forget about those show notes. I'm going to leave uh, some nice little tidbits down in there to connect with Randy and Stephanie, especially uh, I'll, I'll add Randy's information for where to find him on Twitch. He loves to stream on Twitch. Uh, and then don't forget to, to please join and be a part of this community. We've got uh, the Facebook group. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Um, but if you are uh, feeling really generous, I would love your support for this mission and ministry. Uh, if you would head on over to patreon.com slash run and rev, the link is in the podcast notes. Uh, any dollar amount would be greatly appreciated, as I mentioned in the last podcast. Uh, I've got some stickers for all folks who sign up on my Patreon, uh, and so you can expect those coming your way as soon as you sign up. And right here, I want to give a shout out to those who have already committed and are in my Patreon, David Vaughn, Pam Anderson, and Amy Dane. Also, if you wouldn't mind heading on over to Apple Podcasts and, and just leaving a five-star review, uh, letting me know how much you love this. It would be greatly appreciated. Help others to know what you're enjoying about this podcast and hopefully continue to grow this community. Lastly, don't forget to share this with a friend, share it with a neighbor, help others to uh, dive into this theology of self-care, how we're learning and growing and caring for ourselves together. And now may God bless each of us and may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.